Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Okay, welcome everybody to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast, and I am here with a superstar who is so brave to come on, and so last minute too. I just hit her with this just like five minutes ago, it feels like. Um, Elise, how are you? What is, tell us all about you because you have such a story, and I cannot wait to dig into it, so thank you for coming on. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So yeah, like you said, my name is Elise. And I am Canadian and American. I'm a dual citizen. Yeah, I have a bachelor's degree in business from ISU. I'm not using it right now, but <laughs> currently I'm a full time stay at home mom. And I, in my spare time, I crisis council for a nonprofit organization called Crisis Text Line. And I just have learned that I'm super passionate about mental health. And I am also really passionate about telling the world and helping people know the misconceptions about sexual assault and just sexual trauma in general, because it's something that affects so many of us and not very many people are willing to talk about it. And I've come to a place of healing that I can finally talk about it without breaking down. And it feels incredible. Like I never thought I'd get here. So imagine after a lot of therapy and working on myself, here I am. And it feels so good. So what an incredible feeling to come out the other side of all of that. And we'll dig into what exactly all of that is, but wow. Yeah. Cause it's not just snap your fingers, blink your eyes, it happens. No, like you have to dig into it and really grind through the pain and the heartache and all of that, whatever happened and really get into it. Yeah. So good for you. Snaps for you. You are an incredible human. And then crisis council, well, thank you to crisis council on top of that too. And being a stay at home mom, truly like you guys are super heroes. (laughs) I get a little taste of it with my niece and I'm like, wow, (laughs) love them so much, but it's a lot of energy. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Does your little one sleep? She doesn't nap, but she sleeps really well at night. Oh, good. That's my biggest fear is that my kid won't sleep through the night. (laughs) No, it's a fear because it was like that for a year. She didn't sleep through the night. We're at a good spot though. Good. I'm so happy to hear it. Okay. So thank you again for being brave and coming on and sharing your story because that takes a lot. So thank you. So tell us about you and your story. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So kind of goes way back and um, I, I actually had some sexual trauma from my childhood when I was really, really young. And when you're really young, actually at any age, it can happen and you not know what it is at all and be so confused. And most of the time it's someone that you know. And so it doesn't feel like this crime, like this horrible thing because you're like, oh, I know this person. 
So it's fine. Like my family knows this person. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that happened when I was really, really young. Didn't really know how to process it. Just kind of like, I don't know, moved on with my life like most people do. Was it, no. it was an isolated incident? It was isolated, thankfully. Oh. Like I'm yeah. so grateful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was one of the lucky ones, I guess you could say. But yeah, so as a teenager, I was just barely graduating high school. I I had two major like defining incidences that happened to me. I was sexual assault and the, well, I guess three now, but the second one um, probably had the most impact on me. And I was 18 years old, a few days before I started my first semester of college and I was just so naive and like just trusted everyone and mm. just, you know, was trying to make friends and mm. meeting new people. And I was actually trying to meet friends like with my local church group. And in that little church group, it was so, so small. It was easy to like get to know each other. And there was this one guy in particular at an activity who had a, a girlfriend and he asked me for a ride home that night. And because we were across the city, so this was in Canada, and the drive was about 20 minutes home. And we found out that we lived like really close to each other. So he's like, Yeah, would you be willing, willing to drive me home? And so I did. And then he convinced me to go on a walk with him. And then it like all went downhill from there and, you know, like forced me to do things that I didn't want to sexually. And it was just wild. I didn't know. Oh, yes. Just powerless. Like you just oh feel gosh, yeah. completely deflated. So did you sense that, I mean, obviously it was a traumatic experience and it was not right, but mm-hmm. when did you really start to feel that it was wrong or that you were in danger or something was off? When he was like, literally like holding me down, oh like I couldn't, I couldn't move. Wow. And I felt like I couldn't even cry for help. Yeah. In one of my my videos, my reels on Instagram, um, one of the myths that I talk about is some people think, oh, if you didn't fight back, then it didn't happen. Like it's not sexual assault, but your body literally can freeze. Yes. You're trying to survive. You're like, yes. I don't want to get hurt even more, so I'm just gonna freeze. Yes. Yeah. So true. So many myths surrounding it too. And myths like if your body reacts or responds physically to like any stimulation like that, then people would feel, will feel guilty. Like victims will feel guilty and be like, oh, obviously like it was an assault or I'm not a victim because even though I didn't want it, my body was responding. So that must mean something. And no, that's completely independent. It's still a violation and you're still a victim. Exactly. Yeah. It's easy for the perpetrator to be like, oh, well, they had some sort of physical response. So obviously they wanted it. No. And no means no. And like you said, that's so important for people to know that you can freeze. And just because you're not fighting back doesn't mean that it's not wrong. And it's not exactly. a still. Yeah. Before, did you have any sort of inkling that something was wrong? Like, did you get weird vibes from him at all? Or was like, did he seem like a nice enough guy? He seemed okay. That's okay. the thing. I didn't feel like he was creepy. I didn't really get creepy vibes. I was just like, oh, he's weird. Like he's yeah, super yeah. nerdy. Yeah, yeah. And that's also like, you know, not something that people usually associate yeah. someone as a perpetrator with. Like, oh, well, like that nerdy, unattractive guy, like you wouldn't think would do that, you know? Yeah. 
And that's important to note too, that just because they don't necessarily fit a predetermined profile, that they're not um, a possible perpetrator. Like you still got to be on high alert. Exactly. You still got to be aware and still got to be aware of your surroundings and you know your boundaries. And I know that for women especially, it's problematic because they never want to come off as rude or off-putting or impolite because we always want to avoid that quote-unquote bitch stigma. And so we yeah. don't want to come across as, as mean. And so a lot of women override their instincts because they don't want to across as rude. A lot of male perpetrators and female perpetrators too will count on that because they know that women will override that. And um, if they feel, they know that even if women like feel that something is off, they don't want to be rude. So then they'll still invite the person in or they'll still give the person directions or help the person or whatever. And yeah, risky business. Exactly. And I love how you brought up that like the perpetrators, they will abuse that or they'll take advantage of that. Um, And it's, it's really just because it's a crime of vulnerability. They're not really necessarily looking for someone really attractive. It's just someone who's vulnerable and most likely able to give in to whatever they're trying to do. Yes, totally. So, and you had said that you had had that first experience when you were younger, because I know that you had said that your second experience um, had more of an impact, but that first one still has lingering effects, I'm sure. So how did that show up for you as you grew up and got older before that second incident? That one, honestly, I think I just held a lot of shame. Mm a lot of guilt and I felt like I did something wrong and it was my fault and so I kind of just like carried that with me yeah that's such a heavy burden too right as like for such a small child oh my gosh I like look back on my little self and I'm like oh I wish I could go like just tell her that it wasn't her fault you know (laughs) your fault it's not your fault And it's incredible. And I don't know about like your personal experience or people that you've talked to or helped how it can show up in your body in different ways. So if it's like repressed or your subconscious, or if you're carrying that guilt or that shame and you haven't necessarily worked through it or addressed it, or even if you have, like it can still linger in your body in energy or, you know, manifest in certain ways and nightmares and certain like eating disorders and certain other disorders. And like, it comes out somehow. And I mean, it's fascinating. It's unfortunate that it's fascinating, but just how like that psychosomatic connection and like how trauma like connects to your body and it will show up in like your physical sense in so many different ways. Right. Exactly. So I, I honestly can't like pinpoint, I haven't like worked into it, like looked into it deep enough to really yeah. know that specifically for that incident. But I think it was probably happening and I just didn't know yeah people who are listening if they're like well I had a really good upbringing and maybe you did like I had phenomenal parents they were great still stuff happens yeah exactly yeah and so it's still worth looking into and being aware of too especially like if you find yourself blocking out portions of your childhood or you're like hey I have a really hard time remembering like big chunks of time that sometimes is an indicator that something traumatic happened that you might not be remembering or aware of, or even at the time, like you weren't really aware of what was going on. So it's really fascinating too, how it somehow it affects more people than you would think. Yeah, no, that's so true. And there's so many different types of trauma and it affects any, any socioeconomic background or ethnicity. It's, everywhere really everywhere everywhere religion outside of religion and like everywhere so you as a mother 
how does that show up for you, how you parent your little girl? Is that hard for you? Like, do you kind of carry that like hyper vigilance with you? You're always yeah. like, everything is a threat. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I try not to be because like, I don't like living in anxiety. <laughs> but I've actually, I've researched how to prevent, like what to teach your children or your child yeah. to prevent future sexual assault experiences for them. So I actually have an article that talks about how children need to know like the anatomical terms about of their bodies early yes. so they know how to talk about it. Yes. And to advocate for themselves. So if someone touches them inappropriately, you know, to say no, like you don't have to be nice to say no. And yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, she's only two right now, but there's just a little bit I can start doing now. Yeah. But as she gets older, like there's definitely more I can teach her. And that has given me some comfort too. Good, good, good. And I don't know about you. I mean, to each their own, however, and I'm not a parent myself, so I defer to you parents, but. Feels like to care for a child. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, something that I, and I mean, luckily, like my sister and I, her mom are so aligned on everything. I would never do anything that my sister wouldn't do or feel comfortable for or advocate. But one thing that we really advocate or emphasize is honoring her boundaries. So never pushing her to hug somebody that she doesn't want to hug, even if it's a family member. Exactly. The stranger. Yeah. Because you never want them to override like, Oh, cause a lot of times it's someone closer to you. Like you said, like it's somebody that, you know, that often happens is the perpetrator. And so I think it's important for kids to honor their boundaries. And if they don't feel comfortable giving a hug, honor that because if not, then you're teaching them, Hey, it's okay. It's a family member. You need to put aside your comfort and cause you don't want to be rude. And that's kind of the message that you send. Well, we can't be rude. And that's dangerous. It's so true. Yeah, it's so important for them to know that it's okay to say no. Yeah, yeah. Be nice about it, but firm. You know, respectful, but firm. Or give like a fist bump or something or even whatever. Because I remember, this is the example that comes to mind too. We were at a park and there was a, I mean, he seemed harmless. You truly never know, but he seemed harmless. Was just smiling and saying hi to her. And like, she just automatically like walls go up and doesn't, stranger danger like she's so shy and mm-hmm. that's I mean I had the conversation like for the thousand times like you never have to say you don't even have to smile at a stranger if you don't want to like you need to know that like that's okay you need to draw your boundaries and yeah. it's okay yeah oh that's so smart and I think that's awesome that she has like another kind of motherly figure in her life to help reinforce that too so when she's not with her parents like she's still getting that advocacy for herself so yeah and gosh it's I mean it takes a village too you know and (laughs) I mean I can imagine again I'm not a parent but so again not to turn this back on me but just to relate so I'm grateful like for my parents they were always very open and like I love your approach how um you're all about like teaching like the anatomical like terms and understanding and that helps so much they can communicate and understand. And also I think it helps when parents are open. So if something does happen, then kids feel comfortable going to parents and being like, Hey, this happened and not feeling like their parents are going to turn around on them or fuel the shame or anything like that. Yeah. Like they're not going to get in trouble. Yes. So I think that's so important too. And I didn't feel like I had that. And so I think that's why I held so much guilt and like my parents did their absolute best too. I had really good parents, but as a parent, like you really can't protect your child from everything, unfortunately, but you can 
teach them tools to help themselves. Good point too, though. I think what I'm going to be like is a helicopter mom and like think of all the things that could go wrong. And that's so important though, too, is you'll drive yourself into the ground if you try to guard your kid against every single thing. It's impossible. And then you can't really show up because you're so burned out from... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> being on high alert with everything. Yeah. And like you said, the best thing you can do is just like give the tools and cultivate that relationship. And then life is going to happen regardless. Right. Yeah, exactly. What helped you get through after that second incident? What really helped you overcome that? Okay. So I'm going to be honest. It took me years. I can imagine. To overcome. And I didn't even know like how much it affected me until a few months ago. Wow. With my therapist. Yeah, yeah. And that happened in 2012. Wow. It's just like, look, it's been eight years. And I I kept myself so busy immediately after that, going to school full time, working part time, also played basketball. And I was just trying to distract myself yeah. from what had happened, the trauma. And I think that's really common. A lot of people just do everything you can to avoid pain. And I had a lot of really unhealthy coping mechanisms. And I didn't even know they were coping mechanisms until a few months ago that I worked through with my therapist that she explained to me that um, you can have like really reckless behavior afterwards as a way to cope. And I don't love to admit this about myself, but my way of coping was literally like sleeping around. Oh, sure. Yeah. It, it made me feel like I had power. Yes. I was just going to, I could see how that would happen. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I, I didn't realize it at all while it was happening. And I like, wasn't even aware. Cause I also like held a lot of guilt and shame from that too. Yeah. In hindsight, it makes so much sense yeah. that I was trying to like regain my power over my body. Totally. And a way to have control. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And something else that was so weird about the situation and that weird walk that I went on, (laughs) something afterwards. So this is why it was like so confusing to me. Like I didn't understand that it was a sexual assault Mm -hmm. because also as a way to cope right afterwards, I maintained contact with him for a few days. I hung out with him like one other time. And my therapist theory is I was trying to normalize. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Like, oh, this isn't wrong. Like, this is okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like, he's my friend. Maybe I like him. Yeah. And that wasn't anything like horrible. Yes. Which is, you know, seems so like counterintuitive, but I get it. Yeah. Because you're like, if I maintain a, a relationship or a friendship or a connection to him still, then surely like what just happened, like you said, like it's normalized and it's fine because it's not a violation. It's nothing bad because we still are connected and this is fine. And that wasn't so bad. It's not as bad as I want because that's once you face it for what it is, sexual assault, man, that is heavy. Exactly. Exactly. Like, and you're in denial too. You're like, that doesn't happen to me. Like, right. That that only happens to people that you stereotype. Yes. People that you stereotype, people that ask for it, people of a certain profile, people of like a a whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And so many different ways to, like we had said, you had just shared coping mechanisms or coping methods that come up. I know like some male and female, but especially females will gain weight. Mm-hmm. Un- 
subconsciously, like they're not even really like necessarily intentionally doing it. Sometimes they are because it's like a way to make themselves undesirable. Some people, yeah, it's wild how your body will try to cope. Like your psyche will try to cope. Your body will respond. It's all connected. So you would just explain like what you did like right after. um, And this was back in 2012. Mm -hmm. When you realized that it was no good. What did you do? Like, was it hard for you to start to take steps to heal? And what did that look like? Yeah, yeah. It took it took a really long time. But I think the first thing that I tried to do to, like, make some major changes is I was like, okay, I'm going to try to be in a committed relationship with someone and start there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was able to prove that to myself, which I was grateful for. Yeah. But it honestly, I just like repressed it so much that I didn't start healing until like a year and a half ago. Wow. Completely understandable. Yeah. It's really, really interesting because I let myself, because I got to like the stay-at-home mom stage my life really slowed down. And then, you know, things in my mind started surfacing, like my traumas. And I was like, I need to address this. Yeah, just like thinking about it and researching it, I was able to figure out what it was. And I ended up messaging the guy from the walk. I sent him a really long message, not expecting anything back. Um, and he didn't. He actually blocked me right after that, which wow. is okay. I know. Just shows his character. Yes, truly. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and he ended up trying to make me look horrible. So to like the, the little community. Sorry, I'm going like back to 2012. Yeah, yeah. Um, he uh, told our little church group that I came on to him wow. and that I wanted to mess up his relationship with his girlfriend and him and his girlfriend ended up getting married. They're married. So super weird, but yes. Yeah. So 2019, I sent him that message and it was healing. It was honestly, I felt like it was like my first big step um, towards healing because I was able to just like get out my emotions and like tell him how it affected me. Yeah. Really, it was calling him out, but I was trying to do it in like the least malicious way possible because I don't want to hold hate or I, I don't like holding grudges. Like I don't want that to be part of who I am and have to hold on to that. So that says a lot about you. Even though you can understand it just poisons you to hold on to that. Still, after experiencing something like that, man, that I can imagine would be hard to let go of. So oh, thank good you for you. Thank you so much. But I just know like how holding a grudge just hurts you. It does. You know, I'm like, I'm hurting myself more. Oh yeah. Holding on to these hard feelings. It's a way to feel better. Yeah. And like, there's such a healing process too with that, where you kind of move through the cycles, Um, almost like a, a grief cycle, but where anger is part of it too, is part of the healing because like despair is below. So like, you're just feeling in despair and completely just gone and lost. Hopeless. Hopeless. That's mm-hmm. like bottom rung. And then if you can like move on to anger, that's a step up and that's good. But you are a champion and that is where you would want to be is like move past that. You got to feel like, got to feel the feelings, but then to be able to move on and to release that because that's when the healing can really start to happen and grow instead of just holding on to that and poisoning yourself. But still, again, like that's easier said than done. Like, yeah, just 
move on. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Not that easy. That's for sure. yeah. So was it hard for you to find a good fit in a therapist and a counselor? Yeah, I actually have had five. It's solid. Like good. we work so well together. Good. I feel like she understands me and she pushes me, but not like too far. Good. So I can feel like that discomfort, but yes. hope that I can change and it's beautiful. Yeah. Don't you think that like what's so important in having like a therapist is somebody, and I mean, there is a fit for you. So there are so many different personalities and kinds out there too. Like there are people too. And so just because like you go to one and it isn't a good fit, keep looking and keep finding because yeah, like you had said, like you want to feel that discomfort because that's how you're going to like expand and move and grow. But like you should feel like seen and supported by your therapist like you should feel supported and like I've had one I mean nothing against her I know that her heart was in the right place but like we were not a good fit I just felt so judged and I couldn't open up or if you find yourself yeah trying to cultivate a certain image or something there is a somebody out there who was a good fit for you exactly and I'm I'm sorry that happened to you thank you it happens to a lot of people it just like pushes them away they're like oh I tried that once it's yeah. not for me, yeah. but a glove, like you have to find the one that's right for you. It is. When you were still like finding the good fit for you, did you get discouraged or were you like, got to find my good fit? What was your mindset during all of that? So like the first two, I was discouraged and I waited a long time before I went back. Yeah. I waited a very long time to go back the last, like between the fourth and the fifth um, years actually. But finally I was just like, I just need it. I know I need it. I'm going to find someone. And I had a friend who recommended, not my specific therapist, but her superior. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So she ended up like referring the one I have now to me and just worked out so nicely. Like, I, I feel like it's not a coincidence yeah. that I was connected to her yeah. at all. But I love how you just said that with healing, like it's going to be uncomfortable. And that's something that I've learned with this time going through therapy with the the lady that I have now. I've had a lot of really uncomfortable sessions and like you have to feel all the emotions in order to heal. You have to like just let it be there and be present and address it before you can get any better. Yeah, it's so true. So, so, so true. So what daily practices or like mindset practices or what do you do when you're not in therapy that kind of helps you like stay in a a healthy mindset oh that's such a good question um (laughs) I'm still working on that life yeah 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 something that I do though like I just said is if I'm feeling like really down or super anxious that's something I really struggle with is anxiety like I literally just have to like give myself a moment think about it address what's happening how I'm feeling and breathing exercises work wonders for me it's like you're like releasing the tension with the breathing and it sounds like so simple like how does that actually work but isn't that incredible how so and it's so easily dismissible like you can be like well it's breathing like it's not going to carry that much of an impact like it does and they say like just starting with one like activates your parasympathetic nervous system so even if you think it's not doing anything your body is responding and it like you said like that's just so transformative and such a release literally like when you just 
release with that exhale. Do you do like box breathing or do you a cer- do a certain rhythm? What do you do? I've tried the box breathing. I really like that one. I sometimes I'm just like, okay, I'm going to give myself like 10 deep breaths. Yeah. Just try not to think about anything for like those 10 breaths. Yeah. So yeah, that's been helpful. Something else has been huge because I get down on myself. Like that's a bad habit that I have is I'll, I'll beat myself up. And uh, a way for me to combat that is to talk to myself the way I would talk to my best friend. Yeah. Or my sister. Cause we can be so hard on ourselves. Like I think people in general, like we talk to ourselves, like our internal dialogue isn't like anything like you would say out loud to your partner or your child. (laughs) Brutal. We can be brutal to ourselves. Yes. Exactly. But yeah, just trying to like talk to myself nicely. That's another thing that's like, that's so simple. And how does that even work? It really does. It really does. It's radical. (laughs) Transformative that can be really and just being mindful, just that awareness of like starting with that awareness of how you talk to yourself. Even awareness, like if you're breathing, if you have shallow breathing, or if you're holding your breath or holding tension in your body, it makes a difference. Yeah. No, it really does. Amazing. Yeah. So you as a crisis counselor, that is so fantastic that you do that. Is that, yeah. does that take a toll on you having been through what you've been through? And as you're like in this healing process and like moving on and growing through it, is that hard to be there for other people? Does that feel like it depletes you? Sometimes, yeah. And when I'm feeling this is too much, I just take a break. And it's nice because it's a volunteer thing. So okay. I'm not required to be there okay. at any time. So I take a break. And then when I feel like I'm ready to go back, when I feel like I'm in a good spot mentally, where I have emotional energy to give then I go back to it but I only limit it to two hours at a time because yeah it does get really heavy sometimes but I just go back to the fact that I know I have the empathy to share and I I know people need it and so I'm here to give it I'm so happy that we connected (laughs) from the minute that we connected on Instagram you just really have just this amazing energy that you can just sense and feel and so genuine and like you said just empathy for days and you sense it right off the bat and it's just so authentic and I just think the world of you yeah you are truly like a diamond thank you so much I literally think the world of you too so thank you you. speaking kind of in that same vein um and I applaud you for being able to honor your boundaries and disconnect when you need to and step away you need to because that's huge that's huge you can really like burn yourself out if you don't you know emotionally and psychologically and all of that physically so is it easy for you to disconnect to like mentally and emotionally let's say that you've had like a really heavy moment or something with somebody that you're helping or whatever are you do you carry that through do you take on extra anxiety from that or are you pretty good at being able to disconnect from that as needed honestly that's a really good question but I've never like thought of it consciously but I don't carry it with me. Oh my gosh, amazing. I don't even know how, but in the moment, it can be really hard. Like it can be a lot of anxiety. Um, I'm just like so worried about saying the right thing. Like, am I even making an impact? Sometimes it feels like that. I'm like, did I even help them? Like, 
And absolutely, even just showing up. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean, where you still question it. You're the perfect person for the job. That's ideal, where you have such empathy and you show up in that moment when you're helping them. You show up and you're all in, but then being able to step away when you need to. And thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) My goal is to become a licensed therapist. So, you. Yes. Someday. Part of this. In full support of this. So do you have a message for people who, gosh, I mean, any point of their journey, the healing journey, whether they have just experienced it or even people who are potential victims, like any words of warning or advice that you would give to young girls or young uh, men too in their teens, their 20s, any age, I guess I should say, any words of warning that you would give them? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. I'm going to take it from a perspective of like what I wish I would have known when I was a teenager that, you know, just getting attention from a guy doesn't mean it's good attention Yes. or a guy coming or vice versa. Doesn't matter the gender, you know, but attention from someone romantically that you're interested in. It doesn't always mean that it's good for you and that you are allowed to say no. You are your best own best advocate. Yes. Your body. Yes. No one else can say no for you in a lot of situations. And if something feels off, it is. It totally is. Like if you feel uncomfortable, say you're gonna you have plans to go out with a guy or a girl, and beforehand you're like, this feels really wrong, something's weird. You can say no. Just because you need the plan doesn't mean you have to follow through. Yes, yes, yes. Because I know that's something that I did a lot. I was like, oh well, like we already made plans, so it's just I have to do it now. So I'm committed. <laughs> Gotta follow through. Yeah. Exactly. But you don't have to. You really don't. And yeah, especially if you get weird vibes from somebody, that is a thing. It's because like your subconscious picks up on things before your conscious does. So even if it doesn't make sense, even if like you can't reason through why you're getting weird vibes off of somebody, still trust it because your subconscious is picking up on like a pattern or some sort of weird vibe, something that your conscious can't really articulate or explain. Yeah. No, exactly. And I just, I love that we have that ability. All humans, we all have that. And it's such a gift. It is such a gift. Yes. And for people who are spiritual and religious too, I mean, you know, if that plays into it too, know that you're being watched out for and looked out for and supported and listen and honor that. Yeah. So what about people who are kind of on the healing journey? I would say it's okay to reach out for help. There's no shame in that. I know, I feel like that's like a common thread we've heard a lot lately. It's like, it's okay to reach out for help, but it it really is. Really is. And the people that are there for you and that really care about you genuinely are going to receive it well. And if they don't know how to help you, there's resources. Yes. Like therapists or that's what's worked for me. There's also medication. That's great. And just because you take medication doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you Mm -hmm. because we all have imperfections. Yes. Different. Part of your health. I mean, you can take medication for your physical health. Your mental health is just as important. So yeah, I mean, there is a physical reason why there's like an imbalance or something. I mean, there's no shame in taking medication. Yeah, 100%. So are there any resources that you would want to point people towards or that you would suggest? That's a really good question. If you're feeling like you can't handle, like whatever emotions that you're going through, if you feel like this is just too much, I don't know what to do. You can text crisis text line. I should know the number by heart, but if you're in the U.S., post it. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, let's do that. I'm pretty sure it's 741741. Okay. But yeah, there will be a trained crisis counselor that can help you navigate and also give you a specific resource that's like for your specific problem, okay. which is really nice. Yes. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. I also, one little like piece of advice too that just came to me is yeah. if you're in the healing process, like if you're just feeling like, oh, I just want to be done with this, why can't this? be over. I think what's important to realize is that it's going to take time and it's okay if it takes time. Sometimes it takes a long time. Like I know that firsthand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're healing from trauma and you feel like, oh, I just want to get this out of me. Like I just wish it wasn't part of who I am. I think a really, a better approach to it and something that I've learned through therapy is to learn how to live with it. Yeah. Realize like how you've grown from it and try to see how it's made you a better person or yeah. a stronger person. And if, yeah. Exactly. And if you really can't think of anything, you can always go back to the fact that you can empathize with others yeah. who have gone through the same thing. Yes. If that's all it is. Yeah. Even, yeah. The bare minimum. Yeah. That's still <laughs> powerful. Yeah. It's like knowing that people are out there and people are out there to support you and no matter what, and there are resources and people who care and people who want to help. Yeah, exactly. Healing isn't a straight line. So just because uh-huh. like, you're progressing, 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 and then you feel like you've regressed or taken five steps back, you feel like you're spiraling again, or you feel like you aren't moving forward anymore. That doesn't mean that you're not still healing. That's just the healing process. Like it is loops and 10 steps back and two steps forward and then 14 steps forward. Like it's just all over the place. And that's just part of the process. And so uh-huh. just keep going instead of thinking that it needs to just be a completely linear process. It's so true. There's no time frame. No time frame. Yeah. 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 Really. You seriously are a gem. Any last words of wisdom that you have for people? Oh, you're so sweet. I just think if you've been through trauma, sexual trauma specifically, um, it's not your fault. I think that's huge. Yes. Like you don't have to carry that guilt anymore. Yes. You really don't. That's so big. So big. Thank you, Elise. Um, And I will post the information too of the number that people can call. And thank you for coming on and sharing your story. You're the best. Thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege.